Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Welcome and thank you for joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and I'm pleased to welcome Trent Rogers back to the table. Trent, this past Sunday, shared with our church family from Matthew's Gospel in Chapter 1 in our new sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew. Trent, I know it's been a very busy week for you. Thanks for making the effort to come back and share with us today. Thanks for having me, Bart. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. So, Trent, one of your early comments on Sunday was, if we're going to understand the New Testament and Christ's role, we need to understand the Old Testament. Now, as we're reading in the Old Testament, what are some things, some ideas, some some things that we need to be thinking about that we should specifically note? Yeah, that, that's good. Uh, so Matthew chapter 1 is the first chapter in the New Testament, which presupposes the Old Testament. And one of the points I think it's really important for Christians to think through is that this is one Christian Bible. So Deuteronomy, um, 1 Samuel, they are part of the Christian Bible, which means they have an orientation towards Christ. So I would encourage Christians, as they read the Old Testament, to think about the storyline of Scripture. Uh, and entailed with that storyline of Scripture is, where are we at as far as like covenantal location? So there's a difference in the way that I read uh, the Mosaic Law in Leviticus versus how Uh, an author in the book of Hebrews is using it because it's on the other side of Christ. So there's something uh, pretty significant that's happened, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus. I also encourage people to think about um, how are quotations used. So you think about um, how, how is the Bible quoted by the Bible at other points. And often in your margins or in a footnote, it'll say quoted in such and such Mm -hmm. a place. And I always highlight those and uh, encourage uh, you to look those up. Um, now, as we're reading the Old Testament, I'll tell you, just give you a window into uh, what my small group is doing this year. We're, we're going to go through uh, Old Testament narrative. So we're going to, some of those books of the Bible that just tell the stories. And one of the questions people have is like, okay, how do I read those as a Christian? Right. Hmm. So what's the significance of those for my Christian life? And We're just going to have our small group answer three questions. What does this tell us about God? How does this point to Christ? And how is this examples for us? So, Scripture reveals the character of God. We have one Christian Bible revealing the one triune God. So, that's the first point. What does it tell us about God? And then we also recognize that it points to Christ. So, if you think about uh, Luke 24, 27, uh, this says about Jesus... And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, so that scripture points to Christ. So there's a sense in which the, the book of Deuteronomy points to Christ. The book of First Samuel points to Christ. First Kings points to Christ, sometimes in different ways. And then also think that Old Testament narrative is to be examples for us. So First Corinthians 10 uh, describes some of the things that went on in, in the conquest of the land and the exodus. And then Paul says, Now these, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So those are kind of three uh, approaches that we want to take when we read the Old Testament and thinking about its impact on us as Christians. 
Okay, so now you point, your, your second point, you say, uh, how does this point to Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an argument or a discussion amongst professional theologians and non-professional theologians as well. <laughs> uh, things pointing to Christ in the Old Testament. Does every passage in the Old Testament point to Christ, do you think? Yes, but not always in the way that we might want it to point to Christ. So sometimes there's a, a specific phrase, and, and he went down to Nineveh, and then you hear somebody <laughs> say, and that points to Christ in such and such way. And and I want to say... Stretch, stretch, yeah, that's, stretch. Yeah, that is, that's a good example of a stretch. Or, you know, there are, there are examples where uh, people pick out one little strand of the story and say, this points to Christ in this way. And sometimes that's true. I mean, sometimes there are direct quotations. We saw sure. some we, we saw some of those uh, quotations from prophetic passages that directly point to Christ. But there are also the, the thrust of a whole book points to Christ. So uh, the, the thrust of uh, Second Chronicles with these genealogies of the kings and the disappointment that we have in these descendants of David, well, that points to Christ in a really significant way, not in like every single little phrase way, but the thrust of the book. So yes, the, the Old Testament is part, again, of the Christian Bible and is oriented towards Christ. I say, okay, great. Well, we were talking before we went uh, started recording uh, about the fact that even this passage, chapter 1, especially chapter 1 in Matthew, is reminiscent of a lot of the Old Testament. Very few imperatives. In fact, I don't know that there is an imperative there, and we've just come through a discussion of James where mm-hmm. everything, it seemed, was imperative. So as we're reading this, we have to read it differently, you're saying. Yeah, and that's a really good uh, example of what we've been talking about, how the Old Testament points to Christ. And even to look at the New Testament, there are differences among the books of the, of the New Testament. A lot of people love James because it has these very clear, short instructions. You call them imperatives or, or commands. When you come to Matthew chapter 1, there are none of those commands. It doesn't say, um, you know, do this. Uh, and the same thing is going to be the true of chapter 2, right? right? So uh, one of the things we have to do is to say, okay, what is God trying to communicate to us in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, mm-hmm. and how do I live in light of it? Okay. And so some people can come away and say, well, there's no takeaway. There's no take- <laughs> and, and we want to say there's no like to-do list in the way that you're thinking of it, but perhaps the greatest takeaway that you could have from a passage is to think rightly about God and with a right view and understanding of God, then live. And that'll affect everything else. And I've noticed that in my own life as I have matured in my faith, as I read any passage of Scripture, just knowing where it came from. Yet, first of all, that is a major thing, knowing yeah. that it came from God, knowing that there's something there for me. Good. Well, as I review the list of names in Jesus' family lineage, Trent, a, a number of descriptive adjectives and nouns come to my mind. Let, let me share a few of those. Liar, faithless, faithful, manipulator, selfish, outcast, foreigner, adulterer, murderer, success, failure, godly, godless, diligent, humble. Those are just a few of them. I could go on, but it's a real mixed bag. And you shared that Matthew's listing of women and his decision not to hide the failures in Jesus's family line really speaks to his inclusiveness, the inclusiveness of God's plan for the world's redemption. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little further about that? 
Yeah, so uh, Matthew 1, in a sense, recounts biblical history. It retells the biblical story. Now, we don't get little uh, phrases about um, Ram did this, Amenadab did this, but we're supposed to know something about what some of those characters did. So this is actually something that happens with some frequency in the Old Testament that the biblical storyline is retold. Mm -hmm. So one of the classic examples is something like Psalm 78 or, or Acts chapter 7 or Hebrews 11. And one of the most consistent themes in the retelling of Scripture is highlighting the faithfulness of God, particularly in contrast to the faithlessness of His people. Right. And I think Matthew 1 is a participant in that tradition of retelling the biblical storyline, highlighting God's faithfulness. Um, now, you also, you mentioned some of these names. One thing I didn't point out that, that I would have liked to spend a little more time on um, is this verse 1 1 begins with son of David and then son of Abraham? Mm-hmm. Even that, I think, entails something of the, the program of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel. Okay. That he, he, son of David, emphasizes uh, king of Israel. So that's where Jesus' ministry begins. But it ends with son of Abraham blessing to the nations. So that the the worldwide mission task, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. But we have hints of that even at the beginning, that these these foreigners are included in the genealogy. Right. And then it's remarkable, the first people to recognize Jesus as king and worship are foreigners. Uh, we'll get to that in chapter yes, two. Yes, they are. Okay, so Trent, you talked about the three sets of 14 forefathers in the presentation of Jesus, two hinge points. We go up to the revealing of David as a king, and then 14 generations later in this presentation, we have the fall of the royal line and the deportation to Babylon. So what is God saying here about human kings? Is there something he's really trying to emphasize, you think, to us? Yeah, I think disappointment. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of that. So... um, Recall when Israel, and this was a, you know, Israel and Judah weren't yet divided, you know, they're, they're one entity at this point, that it's, uh, there was uh, a rejection of God as king mm-hmm. in order to choose a human king and be like the nations. And uh, that was viewed in Scripture as a bad thing. Uh, it was right. an affront to God. And God told them that it would end in disappointment for them. Nevertheless, in God's faithfulness to his people, he chose David and David's line and made covenantal promises through them. And the issue is, is all of these Davidic kings, including David, are disappointments. They could never be the deliverer that we need. And that's the significant point of Matthew, is that Jesus is this Davidic king, first genealogy, second genealogy. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. So he mm. will not disappoint. <clears throat> Great. So he, you know, even back in 315, God was talking about the seed that would come, David. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, don't you think, just about every mother throughout history, at least a lot of them in Jewish history was thinking, seed. Hmm. Could this be the one? Certainly Eve thought that when she had Cain. 
Well, and, and then when, yeah, Seth, they, they provide, right. God provided a, a seed for right. her. She, and so I think there's a an, an idea, even in the beginning chapters of Genesis, perhaps this is the the deliverer, the rescuer mm-hmm. of 315. Now, obviously, he was only pointing right. to the rescuer. And God has a long view. I think one of the things that I think, too, is the so many people today, God, come, come back, Jesus, come back looking back at what the Jews went through during that time of waiting for the Messiah. The world yearned for that. And even then, it was a long view, and we need to take that long view. Yeah, I mean, as Christians. Romans 8, all creation is, is groaning. So the, the whole world's groaning for the adoption of the sons of God, so that final coming. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Right. Right. Trent, one, one other thing I wanted to point out on this particular point, Deuteronomy 17, I was doing a study of, about Solomon back uh, a number of weeks ago, and Deuteronomy 17, God tells, or through Moses, uh, they're at the, near the end of the wilderness wanderings, they're about ready to go into the, into the promised land, and God tells, through Moses, the Israelites, hey, you're going to want a king. That was way before God was telling them, don't have a king, I am your king, but they are, he is recognizing they're going to have a king. He says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Solomon comes in and checks all the boxes of what he's not supposed to do, but God still is faithful mm-hmm. and it continues to speak to what you're just talking about of God's faithfulness, even when man is not. Yeah, and, and in this passage, God's giving them commands for what a king ought not to do. Exactly. And you mentioned Solomon and kind of the things that God says boom, the king boom, ought boom, not to boom. do. That's the very things that Solomon uh, tends to do. So just when we think, oh, those promises to the line of David are going to be fulfilled in Solomon. I mean, it, we just see him disobeying God in that. And each king down the line uh, to an extent. So Trent, talk to the non-believing skeptic. Perhaps the Christian who is struggling with their faith as well. Either of those individuals. What answers are in this gospel, perhaps even in this particular passage that we've talked about in chapter 1? What, what answers are there for them, and, and where would you point them throughout the rest of Matthew to answer God, the questions about, God, are you real? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is there hope? Yeah, so uh, with skepticism, people are, are skeptics for different reasons, right? right. So. Oftentimes it's not a skeptic because, oh, I can't trust the reliability of the New Testament. Or I'm, I'm a skeptic because I, I don't see how Christ really claims to be God or something. Those, those tend to be secondary claims after their skepticism is rooted in something else, typically life experience. Mm-hmm, um, right. So perhaps it's an issue of suffering um, or perhaps it's a, um, uh, in, uh, an inability to explain the, the problem of evil in the world. So I don't Somebody's know that I let them down. Yeah. So, yeah. Something, or, or maybe it's a frustration with the church, any, any number of those things. So I don't know that I can address every single skepticism, but I think, uh, perhaps the most important thing for a skeptic arising from any, uh, different impetus would be to consider who Jesus is. Hmm. So, especially in these first four chapters, consider who Jesus is. Matthew is painting this beautiful picture of who Jesus is, and then he's going to tell us what he's come to do. He will save his people from their sins. And I think as you read that, and you get a vision of who Jesus is, and then your heart will be moved, like it was for the Magi, to worship the King of Kings. 
So, Great advice for any, and I don't know how many times I've said that to somebody who's been disappointed by somebody else. Don't look at them for how it's supposed to be. Look at Jesus. Great, great advice. So next week, we're going to be moving on to chapter two. Give us some homework. We all have homework <clears throat> that will help us as we're, we're going to be reading this section. It's going to be studying and looking for what God has for us. Yeah, that, that's a, a good question. We mentioned earlier the distinction between uh, Matthew and like James. So, you know, James, it's, it says, you know, be, uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak. So, I mean, your homework then is to see how that plays out over the course of your week. Well, Matthew chapter 2 doesn't have that direct command. So I, I would ask this question. What is Matthew telling us about Jesus? So we mentioned that particularly in the first four chapters, Matthew is establishing the credentials of Jesus. So I made the argument in chapter one that he wants us to see Matthew, or he wants us to, Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the as the forever king in the line of David, and he wants us to understand Jesus as God Himself, who won't disappoint like the other Davidic kings. Okay. So in chapter 2, say, what is Matthew trying to explain or tell me about Jesus? And then the, the thing to do would be to come then on Sunday and say, okay, here's what I think Matthew is telling me about Jesus. And then Chris is going to preach this week. And, and as you follow along with Chris, that'll help sharpen the way that you read Scripture. So so maybe you missed a nuance or or, or maybe you, you hit spot on. And, and that will sharpen you to hear how Chris helps us see what Matthew is explaining about Jesus. Great, so. great. Well, we've been talking today with Trent Rogers, focusing on his recent sermon from Chapter 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. And we invite you to access Trent's sermon as well as recent podcast episodes by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking Podcast on the Media tab. We also want to encourage you to share your questions and your comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. Please join us next time as we continue in our weekly study of the book of Matthew. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you again for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.